That means we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together next Sunday, February 7th. All right, let's begin. This morning we begin a new book, the Gospel of John. It's an amazing book, as anyone who's read it knows. It, uh, we're going to see this morning that it actually, it, near the end of the book, John writes the purpose of it. And that's where we're going to start this week. We're going to start there. As a matter of fact, if you turn now to John chapter 20, verse 30, and we'll begin. John chapter 20, verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What is the Gospel of John about? Again, in John 20, 30 to 31, John tells us exactly why he wrote this gospel. Now, there are five elements that we're going to look at this morning. These are five elements, by the way, that are seen across the whole gospel. And we'll see they build in intensity as we go along. The first, here they are. The first one is signs. Notice, there are many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these signs have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The first thing is signs. Signs are a significant element in the book of the Gospel of John. Uh, it's a matter of fact, from chapters 3 through 11, um, they sometimes call the book of signs within the Gospel. That's uh, how significant they really are. And then we find out why. So that you may believe. Again, believing is a key, key part of this gospel. It, it actually separates what some people think about from the truth when it comes to how we're saved. Number three, the Christ. We're going to see this morning what that means, that Jesus is the Christ. Number four, the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And number five, why he came, to give us life in his name. So again, signs, believe, the Christ, the Son of God, and life. Okay, let's look again at John chapter 20, verse, 20, verse 30 to 31. There are many other signs that Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I want you to notice here that John says, he says you, because he's talking directly to, the, to the, whoever's reading or hearing this message. At this point, he reaches out and grabs us and says, you, this was all for you, whoever you might be. Over the centuries, you, there's got to be hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people who have believed on the basis of the content of this gospel what it tells us about who Jesus Christ is. And so at the very end, John makes it clear that it's about us as individuals, really, that you may believe, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's personal. It's personal. 
And it's interesting because as far as I can tell, this is the only time in this gospel that John does this, that he addresses the reader directly. And it's the most important place where he's calling the, the reader, the hearer of this message to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God on the basis of all that's come before in this magnificent gospel, which we will study verse by verse. Notice these signs. Notice he says these signs have been written so that you may believe. What does John mean by a sign? He has a very particular definition, point, meaning of it. Um, it. Clearly, when we read through these, like Jesus turning water into wine, like feeding 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and five fish, and so forth, raising Lazarus from the dead, these are all miracles. But miracles by themselves don't make a sign. You see, Jesus performed other miracles in this gospel and other gospels, but they're not called signs. So what, what makes a, a miracle a sign? A sign is a miracle that points to something. And, and it points to something even greater. As, as amazing as a miracle may be, a sign, as a sign, it points to something else. Something even greater. A greater meaning. Signs mean something. And in the Gospel of John, the signs reveal the hand of God in the miracles that Jesus performed. That was the point. Not that people would look at Jesus and say, wow, he's a great miracle worker. Wow, he's a prophet. Now, a lot of people said that, but that wasn't the meaning. They missed the meaning. They missed what the miracle was pointing towards. It was pointing towards the fact that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. That these miracles bring out the fact that God's hand was on each one of these particular ones that Jesus performed. The signs reveal the hand of God in the miracles that Jesus performed. There were many other, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, Jesus performed many other miracles. Not, there are some more that are documented here, that are not called signs, for example. Like, for example, when he first sees a guy by the name of Nathaniel, he goes to him and says, he tells him something that he couldn't possibly have known unless he had special ability to know. And that, that was a miracle. But it's not called a sign. So they're not every miracle is a sign. But seven of them are. John talks about seven signs in this gospel. Now, why these particular seven? Because they best serve the purpose of this, God, of, this, of this gospel, John's gospel. What's the purpose? It's right here. He said, these have been written, these signs have been included in my gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We're going to see that these signs, these miracles, all point to the fact that Jesus is the promised Messiah for the Jewish people and that he's God, that he's the Son of God, and that by believing, whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life in his name. We're going to see that these signs have much to do with bringing life, bringing life more abundantly. For example, turning the water into wine made for an abundant celebration of life, and that was just the beginning. So we're going to see these elements again, that these signs are special. 
because they, they revealed the hand of God and the miracles that Jesus performed, but they also served the purpose of, of the Gospel of John. In other words, these were carefully selected so that, it, so that they were, um, so that to bring out the best possible understanding in people that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, so that they too may believe. Now, now, ultimately, of course, these signs were selected not by John, but by the Holy Spirit himself, who, by the way, features prominently later on in this gospel. So you've got to believe that the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing when he selected these seven, because these give people the best possible opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ and receive life in his name. These signs were performed in order that people may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing they may have life in his name. That brings us to our second word this morning. These signs were performed for a reason. And it said, whoops, there it is. These signs were performed so that people might believe. They were performed and documented so that people might believe. There were people who saw those signs when Jesus was, was working in his public ministry there in the first century, and they believed on the basis of it. Well, so I'll show you one of the scriptures that says it this morning. But John writes about it after they occurred so that all who would come after him would also see these things about Jesus Christ and by, of course, the means of the Holy Spirit enlightening their hearts would believe the same truth, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. These signs were performed so that people may believe. Not only would they believe the miracles, not that they would believe that Jesus was a miracle worker, but that they would believe that God was working in these works. And so therefore that this God himself is pointing to the facts about his son, Jesus Christ. We're going to see in this gospel there are many witnesses of different kinds, of different sorts. John the Baptist shows up as a witness, for example. But God the Father himself shows up as a witness, as well as John, the writer of this gospel. But again, these were performed so that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. By the way, he said often that God was his Father. And that, of course, meant that Jesus is God. We see this with a sign that Jesus performed in the Gospel of John. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 5, verse 15. John chapter 5, verse 15. This was one of the signs. This was another sign that Jesus performed. Not the first in the Gospel. There were two that came before. But let's look at this one this morning. John 5, 15 to 18. The man went away. This man was healed by the Lord. This man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This man had been, had been unable to walk for 38 years. And Jesus healed him. An amazing miracle. But also a sign. This man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Why? Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. In other words, they were more concerned with their rules and regulations, totally missing the point of the Sabbath. Jesus would say in another place, he says, listen, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. 
And if God chooses to make a man whole on the Sabbath, that's his choice. You see, the reason they would give him a hard time about the Sabbath was they didn't believe he was the Son of God. They thought he was some kind of troublemaker, somebody who was a challenge to their authority and so forth. The Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them. He said, my father is working until now. My father continues to work at all times, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but notice this, was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. People want to say that Jesus never said he's God. Here it is. He says, he says several times that he is God. He, said, he, he called himself, he said, my father is working, I myself am working. God is my own father. That makes him equal with God. All of these signs glorified God, and the Son of God shared in that glory of the Father. People could and did believe in him on account of, that, of these signs. By the way, that's not even the greatest way for somebody to believe. He'll say also in this gospel, he says, when, when he rose from the dead and he appeared through walls to the, to the apostles, there was one missing, a guy by the name of Thomas. Thomas was a, was, was a doubter. He was a skeptic. And he got together later with the other, well, other ten, and they said, hey, Jesus has appeared. He's alive. He says, I won't believe that unless I'm able to take my fingers and put them into the nail prints on his hand and put my hand in the side that the spear punctured him with. So what happens? Jesus comes back. Thomas is there this time. And guess what happens? First of all, he should already be amazed by the fact that he walked through walls and that here he was risen from the dead. But still, Jesus says, now I know what you said. And so there'd be no possible doubt in your mind. Come over here, Thomas. I want you to take those fingers you were talking about and go ahead. Put them right there in the holes in the palm of my hand. And he says, now I'm not done. Take their hand now and put it in my, in my side where the spear was thrusted in. So that people would have known I really died. And he did that. And he was stunned. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. In other words, what he saw before him, the miraculous resurrection of the dead, was, was for him the means by which he believed. But never forget, right after that, or I'll tell you, if you know, right after that, Jesus says something else. He says, you know what, Thomas? Because you've seen, you believe. In other words, it's fine to believe on the basis of the miracles, but then he says, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. See, the highest form of belief is when you simply take God at his word, that you don't need a miracle, you don't need anything that, that validates it. You just, God told me that Jesus is his son. I believe it. I believe it. Okay. Or oh, Jesus himself said it. You know, that's what happened with the other, other apostles like Peter. He says, he says listen, you know, in chapter 6, which we'll obviously also study in detail, Jesus said some things that were disturbing to a lot of people. He said, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Now that was shocking to a lot of people. And once again, it was a challenge to simple faith. You might not understand what that means right now, but on the basis of who it is that is saying it, I believe. Peter, many ran away and said, I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus anymore. He's out of his mind. Peter stayed along with the other apostles. Jesus went to him and he said, why are you guys still here? And Peter says, what? Where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. On the basis of the word of God, Peter believed. 
Alright, so people, by the way, did believe on him, not just Thomas, but other people too, on account of the signs. I want to see want you to see one in John chapter 2. This is the first sign that Jesus performed, the first sign that he performed. A miracle that pointed to something greater, something about God, something about Jesus. John chapter 2, verse 11. John chapter 2, verse 11. Notice how it starts. This beginning of his signs. Now remember, a sign is more than simply a miracle. A sign is, a sign is specially set apart. They said, what, what's the sign in everyday life? Okay, if, I, if I'm driving on the highway and I'm really hungry, and I see by the side of the road, and there's this sign that shows in, well, Burger King, I don't really like Burger King. Uh, oh, McDonald's, that's a sign. That means I'm going to have a terrible lunch, but I really like it, a tasty one. A sign points to something. It's, it isn't just of itself. Like a sign like that, I don't look at it and I say, my gosh, what a beautiful sign. Look at that. It has, it has a rectangle. My gosh, look at the colors on it. I don't say that. I say it's pointing to something. Same thing with a miracle. You can get all excited about the miracle. Nothing wrong with that. But the greater thing is that what it, who it points to, what it points to. That Jesus is God, for example. That God is working through Jesus. That God has a plan. And this is his son. And this plan will come to fruition. We'll see that plan come to fruition in this gospel. That's a sign. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Now, that might sound familiar because that's, of course, where he turned water into wine at a wedding. That was the first of his signs. Yes, it was miraculous, but it pointed to who he was. It pointed to the fact that he was the Messiah of the Jews and that he's the Son of God. That's what it pointed to. Notice what else it says. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Glory belongs to God, but Jesus manifested his glory, which he also shared with the Father. He'll talk about that other places in this gospel. He said, the glory that we had before the world began, Father, now my disciples have seen. And here's another example of that. They looked at the fact that Jesus turned water into wine. They understood it meant way more than just the miracle itself. There's the glory of God manifested in his son. And what happens? And his disciples believed in him. So the signs are meant to point to something greater than the miracle itself, such that people would believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And many did. Many did. Jesus performed these signs so that a purpose that people would believe that he was the Christ, the Son of God, and believing they would have life in his name. The word believing, the idea of believing, that's a really critical part of the Gospel of John. You know, it's different, by the way. If you look at the other Gospels, okay, they'll talk a lot about other things, like following Jesus, like repenting and so forth. Not John. Why? Because the focus of the other Gospels primarily was on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he was there to usher in the kingdom. And so the the, the focus then was on the Jewish people turning away from their legalistic approach, turning away from their unbelief in the Lord and believing in him as their king and following him into the kingdom. 
But John is the universal gospel. In other words, it's for all people, for all times. It's, it's whoever, whosoever, right? We see that word in John 3, 16. Whosoever will believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It's for you. It's for me. It's for everybody in the world. This gospel, it's universal. So Jesus wrote, I mean, John wrote so that whoever hears or reads this gospel may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing they would have life in his name. Simply believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. He came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Whoever reads or hears this gospel, the point of it is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah. That's tremendously important. Sometimes we give that short shrift in the New Testament. We say, well, that's for the Jews, you know. But the fact of the matter is, it's for all of us. Because let me tell you something, when that kingdom comes, then not only will the Jews be the center of the whole world, the remnant of the Jewish people who are in Jerusalem, and their, their king is Jesus Christ, but then they'll be bringing in people from all the nations of the world to worship him and live in his kingdom. And so the fact that Jesus is this king is terrifically important for everybody. So not only that, but but a lot of the Old Testament was there to show that God was going to bring forth the king of the Jews, Jesus Christ. The, The promises to David, the greatest king in the Old Testament, that he would have a line that would lead to one of his descendants sitting on his throne forever, forever. And so the fact that this was fulfilled, the fact that God said this and then fulfilled it in his son is, again, something that all of us should celebrate. All of us should be amazed at. That alone can lead people to believe in Christ, to see a prophecy in the book of Isaiah and then see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That alone could bring somebody to faith in Christ, that he's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing. Believe, believe, believe. That is what this gospel is pleading with everybody who reads it or hears it to to have. Believing. To believe. What does that mean? There's a lot of confusion these days about even the word believe, as as, uh, funny as that might seem to people. I mean, after all, I know I've mentioned this a lot. I'm going to mention it again. Jesus would say, listen, I want you to become like a little child when it comes to this. What is he saying? Belief is simple. A child understands it. Don't get all complicated and confused and try to bring in other things and say belief is really something else. That don't do that. Okay, it's very simple. Very simple. It simply means to be convinced about the truth. That's what that's what it means. About something, about the message of the gospel, to be convinced, to believe. Or about someone to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It's very simple. To become convinced. Right? Not to not to commit. But to be convinced, those are very different things. So many, so many preachers today are saying that you have to commit to Christ. You have to give your whole life to Christ in order to be saved. That's nonsense. That's the opposite of what's being said here. It means simply hear the message, understand who it's about, and be convinced. That's believing. Be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It could be a message. It could be a witness. We believe witnesses. 
We believe, for example, John writing the fact that he has witnessed these things. He he says to us, I was at the cross. I was the only male disciple there. I saw Jesus Christ die on the cross. I saw the soldiers come by and they were to chop off the legs of those that were being crucified. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. I saw that he was already dead, John says. And he says, because of that, they didn't cut his legs off. They just stuck a spear in his side. And I saw blood and water coming out. And by the way, that was something that he might have not understood himself, but he was witness of it. He saw it. And the fact of the matter is, is that we now know on the basis of science, I suppose, that that was clear proof that he had died. John was a witness to those things so that he has credibility for us to believe what he says in his gospel. What he has presented about the signs of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. To be convinced about, about the truth of something or someone. In the Bible, another way of looking at believing, to believe means simply to take God at his word. Because that's ultimately what believing is. right? Believing isn't seeing. You know, seeing is believing. That's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. That's a contradiction. right? No, believing is, it stands all by itself. But on taking God at his word. I'm taking what he has to say in the Bible as being true. Like a child would take what his father said at face value and believe it. Okay. And by the way, that's not always a good thing for a child. Because it depends on the character of the father, doesn't it? If the father tells him that, you know, sometimes we just have to be violent with people. And a child says, I believe that because that's my dad. Well, unfortunately, you know what? Believing also depends on the credibility and the integrity of the one who is the source of the information, of the one you're believing in. And when it comes to human beings, when it comes to human fathers, that's not always a good way to go. But with our Heavenly Father, it always is the best way to go, to take God the Father at His word. All right, I'm going to give you one Greek word, because it's so critical to this whole gospel. And it's pistuo, all right? Now, you know, once in a while, okay, here we go. That's pi, iota. Anyway, this is the Greek for... For to believe. Pistuo. There's two, there's two le- Greek letters that we translate O. This is one of them. Okay? Pistuo. Okay? P-I-S-T-E-U-O. What does it mean? Well, it means to have faith. Right? That's the surprise. This is simple, gang. This isn't complicated. I say that because there are so many religions and so forth that make this complicated. There are people that want to say faith, you know, that includes works in it. I talked about that last week. Faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. What are they doing? They're bringing something else into faith. Faith means commitment. Faith means that you have to, you have to follow Jesus. That's, what, that's bringing something else and calling it faith. But it isn't faith. Simply to have faith in someone or something. To credit someone. To entrust someone. It means to think that it's true. That's what it is, to be persuaded of. Why would John write these signs if not to persuade people? He's persuading people of the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And when you are persuaded by that message, by those facts, now you're believing. And place confidence in. Again, believing is placing confidence in the source of that message or in that person. It's only as good as the integrity of the source. All right? 
But when it comes to this Bible, the source, of course, is God himself. This word, pastuo, believe in the English, is a tremendously significant word in the Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, this one word, pastuo, is found 98 times in the Gospel of John. Do you think the Holy Spirit wants us to get something real clear about salvation? 98 times. 98 times in this Gospel. By the way, I'll throw this in. The word repent... Guess how many times metanoia appears in this gospel? Anybody want to guess? Zero. Exactly. Zero. Isn't that interesting? I find that very interesting. 98 times pustuo is found in the gospel of John, the universal gospel for all people, all races, okay, the church especially. 98 times in the gospel of John. That is the most of any book in the New Testament, by far, by far. Believe what, right? We have that these, these signs have been written so that you may believe. Believe anything? Some people will believe anything. No, something very specific. And this is so important to understand too. That the ultimate believing has to do with a person. It has a person in, that we ought to believe in. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That is what's being presented here. Now, we now know from the writings of Paul that the gospel also points to other facts about Jesus. By the way, these facts are included in the gospel of John. Namely, that Jesus is God's son. That's here. But also that he died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. Now, what's interesting is that John was a witness to the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, because he would run to the run to, run to the tomb on the third day, because he, he and he saw that he had died and he knew that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead. So the gospel is here, and it has to do with a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why this is word is emphasized. Believe this, simply believe this. Hear the good news and believe it. That's the gospel of our salvation. That's how we receive eternal life. That's how we're justified forever. Why? Because the whole point is not in our believing, it's in who we're believing in. It's not the miracle, it's Jesus Christ. You see, it's not our believing that's really anything, it's who we're believing in. And we're, by, by, by honoring him through our believing in him, that is all that God is asking for in order for somebody to be saved forever. Here I am, God said, I was at work in my son. I gave him to you as, as a gift that he would die for your sins. Do you understand how difficult and how significant that really was, that God in the flesh would die a horrible death that was reserved for criminals and that he would be buried in the ground, God's son in his humanity, buried in the ground and then raised from the dead on the third day. And God says, take me at my word on that. And you'll be with me forever. You'll be with me forever. Because that's his son that did all this. Believe what? See, the first two words, signs and believe, but we go on, right? To believe that Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean? It's not his last name. A lot of people say, what's his name? First name is Jesus and his last name is Christ. Well, of course, that's not true, right? I mean, when, he, when he's addressed as a human being, it's Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus, the son of Joseph, 
See, that's not his last name. It means something. It means something tremendously important. It means that Jesus of Nazareth, that human being, is the Christ. Who is the Christ? The Jewish Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is going to come. And so that that's one of the purposes of this gospel, is to present overwhelming information through the signs that Jesus is the promised Messiah to the Jewish people. And again, the promised king. When we say Messiah, we mean a promised king of Israel who will do something very important. And that will, he will sit on the throne of David forever. The promise that was made to David in 2 Samuel, a promise that was repeated and reinforced in, in all the way through, especially in the prophets. And Jesus is the one who fulfills those prophecies. Jesus is the promised king of Israel who will one day, it's still future now, sit, sit on the throne, of David, the throne of David forever. He's a descendant of David in the flesh, declared the son of God by the resurrection of the dead, and he will sit on the throne of David forever when he returns. That's what we mean by the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. He will sit on the throne of David forever. I'd like you to turn now to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. We're studying Isaiah, of course, in our Bible study on Thursday evenings. Okay, so there's a great connection here between what we're studying on Thursdays and now what we've studied here on Sunday. Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. There are many other signs that Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples. They're not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe. Believe what? That Jesus, the human Jesus, is the Christ. The Christ. The promised Jewish Messiah. Let's look at the promise in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be the king. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Okay, that's what a king does. But notice the next title that he'll receive. And he he is. Mighty God. Eternal Father. You see, the Jews wanted to stone Jesus because he said he was the Son of God. And yet, they should have known that in the book of Isaiah that the Messiah would be called Mighty God and Eternal Father. That he and the Father are one. It's already in their scriptures. Their problem wasn't that they couldn't accept that because here we have their promised king, human, also being God. They should have understood that much. No, their problem was they didn't believe it was Jesus. You see, and that's why John wrote these signs that would tie Jesus into all the prophecies in the Old Testament about the promised king. And that's what we see here. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government, the kingdom, will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be peace in all the world when Jesus Christ takes the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem when he comes back. Notice verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace. No end to it. What does that mean? Go as far east, go as far west, go as far north, as far south. Whenever you see people in that time period, they will all be subjects of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Where will he be? On the throne of David and over his kingdom. 
That was a promise that the Lord made to David. Isaiah is, is reinforcing that promise, and he's saying, this child will be born, that he will be the king, and he'll also be God. And it, this will go on forever. On the, over, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. To establish it, the king and the kingdom, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on, and notice, and forevermore. What an amazing thing to think about. You know, we think about government now and how changeable it all is. And we have this president for four years and then we have another one for four years. And all of the, all of the chaos in the world and things shifting and so forth. That's the nature of this fallen world. But when Jesus Christ comes back, he will rule forevermore as the perfect king full of righteousness and justice. The very things that are lacking today, if I could throw this out, in terms of so many governments around the world. Justice, righteousness, from then on and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will promise, accomplish this. These signs have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing you may have life in his name. So that you may believe that Jesus is God. This is the heart of the whole gospel of John. If I I were to say, what is the one thing that that John never wants you to miss? No matter where you read in his gospel, what is it? That Jesus is God. That Jesus is God in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. That's God. Right? Glory of the only son of God. That is the point of this gospel. That you may believe that Jesus is God and believing you may have life in his name. That Jesus is God. Now I say this and it sounds simple and it's right there in print. But do you realize the battles that are fought around this statement? We see it already in the gospel of John. You know, as the gospel of John progresses, you're going to see an interesting thing. You're going to see a growth in belief more people will believe in him. The, the, the belief and the confidence of the apostles will be strengthened as you go along. An increase in belief. But you know what else you have? You also have an increase in unbelief. Unbelief. That is the, that is the, the crux of the matter. Right? He who believes has eternal life. He who does not believe does not have eternal life. Will perish. Okay? That's the, that is the ultimate opposite. And, and we see both of these things in the Gospel of John. You can, that's why he say he points it, comes right to you, right to me, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Or not, you know. And if you don't believe, you've already been condemned. Very strong language. See, see we always quote John 3.16, but sometimes we forget that it goes on, right? As a matter of fact, let's take a look at that. Look at John 3.16. This is so important. This is a part of the Gospel. Left out, unfortunately, by so many people, even if they get here, even if they get beyond the hurdle of that is simply believing and believing in a person. Notice this. Look at John chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, everybody, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, God in the flesh, that whoever believes in him, there it is again, 98 times, there's one of them, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's keep reading. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. Take that, legalists. 
right? He didn't into the world now, during people's life, during his ministry. He didn't send them to death. That wasn't the purpose. He didn't say, you know what? You guys are wicked sinners. I'm going to show you righteousness is going to be in the form of my son. He's going to condemn and judge all of you. Well, that's not what happened. He died for all of us instead. He was not sent into the world to judge the world. What? But that the world might be saved through him. That's the heartbeat of God. By the way, that is a contradiction. It's contradicting, for example, what the Calvinists say. That he came so that whoever believes in him shall not perish. No, he loved the world. He gave his only begotten son so that whoever. God did not send, verse 17, the son into the world to judge the world. But that the world, all the people, might be saved through him. And then there's verse 18. Here's the opposite. Here's the conflict. Here's the two ways people can go. He who believes in him is not judged. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, they're they're justified, declared righteous forever. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, that's the, two, that's the two poles diametrically opposed to one another here. We, so we'll see it in this gospel. We'll see those who take the signs and believe in Christ. We'll, take, we'll see those who see the signs and want to kill them. Those are two opposite reactions, both by human beings. We can't necessarily explain why, but we see it and it's a fact. It's a fact. Whoever believes is not judged. Whoever does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. The stakes couldn't be higher. They couldn't be higher. A person who sees these signs, hears that from so many witnesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, hears that it's simply a matter of believing and then doesn't. Those stakes are really high. They condemn, they perish. But on the other hand, the stakes are just as high in the positive, right? Whoever simply believes this good news will never perish but have eternal life. Amazing, amazing. And that's what's at stake. That's why this gospel is so amazing. That it's something that everybody should read. Unbeliever as well as believer. It lays things out perfectly clear. There's two ways you can go. All right. All right. So let's go back to um, John chapter John chapter, John chapter 20, 30 to 31. This is our passage this morning. As usual, we're going to go back and forth to different places, mostly right within the Gospel of John this morning, because this is our first class. This is our introduction. This is looking at the meaning of it all, and that it is dispersed throughout this Gospel, and as we'll see later on, that it comes on with more and more intensity as you go along. That's, that's on purpose. Think about the miracles, for example. I'll just tell you, the first miracle is turning water into wine. That's pretty amazing. Okay, it does show something about the fact that Jesus has power over creation and life, but it can't hold a candle to the last sign, the last miracle, which is when he says, Lazarus, who'd been in the tomb for four days, come forth, brought a dead man back to life. That was the most amazing sign of all, the most amazing sign of all. In any event. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. These are signs 
They've been written for a purpose that you may believe, simply believe. Believe what? Believe in who? Jesus is the Christ, the promised king to the Jewish people. But one other thing, that he is the son of God, that Jesus is God, so that you may believe that Jesus is God. I mentioned this before, but Jesus told the the people that he was God. Let's take a peek at another one. Look at John chapter 8, verse 57. John chapter 8, verse 57. I mean, there's, there are many statements in the gospel of John saying that Jesus is God. But in a couple of places, he says it himself. This is another one. We've seen one already. John chapter 8, verse 57. So the Jews said to him, see, he had just told them, you know what? You say that your father's Abraham. Let me tell you something. Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced in it. And they, they grew shocked. They said, wait a minute. Abraham was, uh, was around hundreds of years ago. You're not 50 years old. You mean you've seen Abraham? Notice verse 57. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? He's been dead and in the grave for a long, long time. Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Truly, truly in the Gospel of John means pay close attention now. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. What happened when they heard that? The unbelieving Jews, when they heard that, they knew exactly what he was saying. Therefore, they picked stones up to throw at him. Why? Because he was blaspheming in their world. They knew exactly, well, I'll show you what this is all about. They knew exactly what he was saying when he said, I am. They wanted to kill him on the basis of that. They thought it was blasphemous that he would say that. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple because it wasn't his time yet. Here's why the Jews, young believers, wanted to stone him. I am means that he, Jesus Christ, has always existed. That's what it means. Is always existed now. That's why you could say, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, you see. And, And God has always existed. That's one of the definitions of God, that he's always been here. Abraham hasn't always existed. He had a life and he died. Um, there's no human being, just human, who's always existed. That's, that is reserved to God. So when he said, I am, he was saying, I am God. And that's why they wanted to stone him to death. Because they said, a man cannot say those words. Even though in the book of Isaiah, as we've just seen, the promised king would be both God and man. You see, But, you know, they weren't, maybe they never believed that either. I don't know. Now, I want, you, I want to show you something else to make it crystal clear that this is what Jesus meant. Please turn to the Old Testament now. Hold your place in John or make sure you know how to get back there fast. I'd like you to go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. Exodus. Moses leading the people, he will later on, out of, out of their slavery in Egypt into the freedom that God has for them. But before that, He needs to send Moses, who would be the human deliverer of the people. Moses at this time was tending sheep, okay? And he was called out by the the Lord. Notice, as as Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. When Moses sent 
when the Lord sent Moses to the sons of Israel, noticed, notice, then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel. And I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, he's using the same name for himself that the Lord God used for Moses. He's saying he's God. Please turn to John chapter 10, verse 29. John 10, 29. You see, John's gospel is the best place to go if you want to demonstrate to somebody that Jesus Christ is God. This, this will blow away the arguments of Islam, who says he was just a great prophet, blow away the cults, like the Jehovah's Witnesses who don't believe he's God, or even the Mormons who don't believe he's God, or the Unitarians that don't believe he's God, or so many of the worlds. You know, a lot of people in the world, if you say Jesus, they'll say, oh, he was a great teacher. He loved the poor, right? All those things are true, but they're not, they're missing the most important thing, that he's God in the flesh. If you want to if you want to see whether somebody's a believer or not, one of the easy ways is to say or to ask, do you believe Jesus is God in the flesh? It's fundamental to who he is. It's fundamental to being a believer in Christ that we that we believe that he is God in the flesh. Look at John chapter 10 verse 29. My father, notice he calls his father. Again, it's a statement that he's God who has given them to me, is greater than all. He's talking about all the believers that the Lord has given to him so that Jesus can give them eternal life and and they'd be with him forever. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. By the way, a tremendous proof of the doctrine of eternal security. When you believe in Christ, you are in the hand of the Father forever. No one, no thing, no how can ever snatch you out of the Father's hand. But notice verse 30. I and the Father are one. We're the same. What is that saying? Notice what happens again in verse 31. A proof, okay, a bright light that Jesus is saying is God is that the Jews want to stone him. All right? And here we have it again. Then the Jews picked up stones to stone him, and Jesus answered them. Notice what he says now. I showed you many good works from the Father. You see the signs. For which one of them, which one of the things that show that I am the Christ, the Son of God, for which one of them are you stoning me? And then 33, they missed the whole point. They didn't see the sign. They may have seen the miracle, but they didn't see the sign that was pointing to the fact that God was working through Christ and that Jesus was his son and that Jesus is the son of God. He said, I showed you many good works from the father. For which one of them are you stoning me? And they answered him, unbelievers, for good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy. Why? Because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus never said he was God. The Jews would beg to differ with you. In this passage, you have said that you and the Father are one. You're saying you're God. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing 
you may have life in His name. We've already seen this passage this morning, so I'll just repeat it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have... Anybody? Eternal or everlasting life. That's why He came. That's why He died. That's why He was raised from the dead, so that we may have life by believing in Him. You may have life in his name. Please look also at John now. Chapter um, 11, verse 25. John eleven twenty-five. This will be the last passage we'll go this morning. The greatest sign, short of the fact, by the way, that God raised him from the dead. But that's not considered a, a sign in this gospel. And I'll get into that when we get there, okay? I mean, it is. It is a sign. But as far as the specific things that, that John points to as signs, in any event, Jesus said to her, I am, that should be significant, I hope by now, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, so that believing you may have life in his name. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's eternal life. Do you believe this? Same question, right, that John is posing in chapter 20. Do you believe this? That's the whole point of this gospel. Do you believe that by believing in me, the resurrection and the life, you will never perish and you will live forever? And then, of course, notice the reply. Notice how specific, how how accurate this is. She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed. Notice, what has she already believed? This should sound familiar. That you are the Christ, the Son of God. That's the point of this gospel. Okay, Martha got it. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even that he that comes into the world. Remember our five things from today. Signs. These signs he has performed. And these have been written by John so that you may believe. That's the second thing we're going to see. I'm setting you up now for the fact that these are the, these are some, these are the key things to be looking for when we study the Gospel of John, the signs that point to the fact that Jesus is God, that it's simply a matter of believing, pistuo, 98 times, that he's the Christ. He's going to go to the woman at the well in Samaria, and she's going to ask him at one point, I heard that the Christ is coming from Jerusalem. And he'll say to him, you're looking at him. So this is an important element of the Gospel of John. And then, of course, the most important, the Son of God, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And then the outcome, Life. These are the five things that we're going to look at as we go through this gospel. These elements, these five things, they run all the way through the gospel of John. And as the gospel proceeds, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, guess what? These things build in intensity. I already mentioned the signs. There's a sign of turning water into wine. You can see that. And then it goes all the way to raising Lazarus from the dead. It builds in intensity. I mentioned believing already, that the belief gets more intense. The unbelief does too, unfortunately. That the Christ, the signs that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. This is the most important thing to see, how it builds uh, as you get evidence after evidence and the nature of the evidence becomes more and more bold and apparent. 
The signs get more astounding. You will see this and feel it as we go through the Gospel of John. Faith intensifies, but also unbelief. Jesus will be clearly revealed as the Messiah, the true King of Israel. And the proclamations of his deity, that he's God, will grow louder and louder as we proceed through this great gospel. See, we are starting out on a great adventure as we get into this book of the Gospel of John. In fact, it's the greatest adventure of all. The discovery that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by simply believing, you may have life in his name. All of the events in this book actually happened. This is not fiction. This is all history. We have the most impeccable witnesses of all who testified to all of these things and in the end testifying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It's a gripping, gripping story. We have the hero, the Lord Jesus Christ, and as he proceeds through this gospel, he faces more and more opposition. In fact, towards the end, it seems certain that his enemies have already defeated him. Until... We're going to continue on this gospel next week. I hope you can join us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for, first of all, for your son and for also having this book written for us so that we will have all of this clear proof and statement and that we can believe in what you're saying, take you at your word that Jesus Christ is your son and that he is the promised Jewish Messiah and by simply believing in him, we'll have life in his name. Father, now we would ask that you would just continue to strengthen it, what, what we have in our hearts concerning the message of the gospel, the truth about who Jesus Christ is, that he is your son, God in the flesh, that he did die for the sins of the world, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead to new life so that whoever believes in him will never perish but have that eternal life. And Father, we would just ask this morning as we leave, that as these things build in our hearts as we study this gospel, also would build motivation in our hearts to share the truth with others. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. (laughs) All right, come with us next Thursday on Skype at 6.30 as we continue the study of the, the book of Isaiah. We've seen this morning that Isaiah comes up What he's teaching comes up in the Gospel of John. It's throughout the New Testament. It's in Romans. It's in many places, the book of Hebrews. So this most central prophet in the Old Testament, it's so important to know what is in his book. So that gives us more perspective, more richness about everything else we learn about Christ in the New Testament. 6.30 on Skype. We, We have a prayer meeting at the end of service. Last week it was different because, I don't know, whatever happened, there was some sound problems and whatever, but we still had a prayer meeting. Um, but please give us your prayer requests on the website so we can have them when we pray on Thursdays. Remember, too, that our giving policy is not to force people, not to even pass around a basket, not to have pledges or tithing, all right? It is instead to rely on what Christ said through the Apostle Paul, that Christians, as they receive and receive from God's word, will have more and more gratitude, and they'll express that gratitude by being generous themselves so that others, too, can receive the blessings that they've received, be they spiritual or physical. That's the principle.
God loves a cheerful giver. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, today we once again ask that you would just write these things on our heart and that you would give us the motivation we need, Father, through the Spirit to be, to be people that believe in you, teach the gospel to others, and love one another as Christ have loved us, has loved us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. With that, you're dismissed, free to go, and I hope you have a great day today. I'm hoping I do too.